Fire up your soul, Gandamu. And here we are, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> for the Tomodachi Brothers. Welcome, everyone, to Mobile Snack Gundam. <laughs> this is no Gundam, boy, no Gundam. Amaro. <laughs> All right, oh, ladies man. and gents, welcome to Mobile Suit Gundam with the Tomodachi Bros. I am once again and forevermore Ditaku. Joined now by the RX-69 3G-Class Hipster Snack and the MS-19YA COG Odon Special <laughs> Custom. You, you can get both of them at your local <laughs> import store, I believe, in the mega high grade. Uh, say hello, gentlemen. <laughs> in here, I was half expecting the Zakog. <laughs> Zak- wow. <laughs> Wasted opportunity. I'm sorry. So, uh, in case it's not aware from that just font of memes and uh, buffoonery, we are not small fans of this original series, of this uh, meta franchise. Not at all. Um, But in case there are those of you out there who do not know how Gundam actually started, uh, Professor Cog, why don't you uh, give us a little bit of a primer for those of us who don't know. Okay, so we're going to go through Cog's pedantic explanation of UC Gundam lore for everybody. So strap in. So Mobile Suit Gundam is a science fiction franchise. It started August 7th, 1979. It's a 40 year spanning military drama show created by Yoshiyuki Tamino and Sunrise Incorporated. 2019 marked the 40th anniversary of the Gundam franchise, which we basically use as an excuse to begin this Gundam-thon because we're giant nerds. And I cannot emphasize that enough. Giant nerds. And thankfully, we're starting right at the beginning with the one, the only, the original Mobile Suit Gundam. All right. So for those that don't know, Mobile Suit Gundam takes place in a future universal century. In this era, the Earth has combined into a unified federation government. For a while, the Earth was dealing with some major overpopulation issues. And in order to fix this, they create a space colonization plan. And people begin to start moving out into these orbital habitats. Which, fun fact, were actually based off the designs of an actual American physicist named Gerard Kitchen O'Neill. And they're actually called O'Neill Cylinders, which I think is kind of cool because at least, you know, you're building a science fiction franchise. At least it's kind of based on some kind of actual science, unlike something, say, like Star Wars, which is just mostly science fantasy. But I digress. So these colonies in Mobile Suit Gundam, they're huge. They're able to provide homes for millions of people. It also plays a different gravitationally stable point in space called the Grangian points. 
Usually at these points, there are multiple colonies bunched into clusters. These clusters of space colonies are collectively referred to through the franchise as sides. This is important because you hear the term side or L4, L5 referring to different locations within the UC Gundam franchise. And it's a central element to their world building because their entire series based in different side locations and the narrative will move around between them. But that being said, the human population at this point in time becomes very stratified. It was mostly the wealthy that got to remain living on Earth while about 9 billion of everyone else was kicked out into space. And in the year UC or Universal Century 0052, a man named Zianzum Daikun moves to the Side 3 colony cluster farthest from Earth and starts preaching his philosophy of contalism, which essentially believes that Earth is the sacred cradle of human civilization and that humankind must protect it. Yet at the same time, he believes that humanity's future belongs with the stars and in, in, in the stars and moving forward into space and that the space colonies should be independent from the Earth Federation. He is also the one that develops the new type theory, which is prevalent through a lot of UC Gundam. But Zeon Daikun gets named the leader of Side 3, which becomes the Republic of Zeon. Or at a, if we're bringing in origin, the Republic of Munzo. But unfortunately, very shortly after this, Zeon Daikun dies suddenly in 0068. Then by 0069, the Zabi family, led by Zeon Daikun's main advisor, Degwin, takes full control of the Republic and then becomes a dictatorship under his family, now called the Principality of Zeon. Degwin's oldest son, Giran Zabi, also kind of launches a purge to remove a lot of Zeon Daikun's most passionate followers. And this is essentially important because it forces the two children of Zeon Daikun, a young Casval Ren Daikun, and his sister Artesia into hiding. So, Zeon by itself at this point also has inferior numbers compared to the Federation government. In 0070, they start developing what will become the new mainstay weapon of war in this science fiction world known as the Mobile Suit, a large 20 meter or so tall robotic suit, which is piloted by a human soldier pilot. This is a big part and thanks to a Dr. Trednov Manovsky, who basically discovers a new type of particle physics based on what gets dubbed the Manovsky particle, which is another thing you hear about a lot in UC Gundam. Characters in all different series will randomly be like the Monofsky particles and blah, 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 blah. But basically, they're able to use this particle in the year 0070 to create a new kind of working thermonuclear reactor, which they are able to use to power and develop mobile suits, as well as megaparticle beam weapons and such. Then, while Xeon and the Zabi family are hard at work working, building their army, Monofsky starts not liking the Xeon leadership policies very much and defects to the Earth Federation in 0072, which allows the Earth Federation to also start building up in this arms race to try and catch up with Xeon. So Xeon is making major breakthroughs in the mobile suit designs. A man named Tem Ray, father of our main hero of original Gundam, Amuro Ray, gets a sneak peek at the footage of the mobile suit, at new mobile suits that Xeon is working on, and Tem realizes that the gun can and mobile suits that the Federation has been developing are not going to stand a chance at these new Xeon mobile suits. So along with the sponsorship of the Earth Federation, the ever-present Anaheim Electronics, he ends up taking the lead and starting to develop Project V, or the RX-7802 Gundam. This then more or less brings us to UC-0079. January 3rd, UC-0079, the war near war begins. It was an insane all-out war where they're using all kinds of different warfare, biological weapons, nukes, whatever, just causing a big friggin' mess. And one of the first major offensives of the war, Operation British, January 10th, 0079, where Xeon attempts to end the war early by dropping the side two colony island Ifish onto Earth. Well, that's what they call it in 
in origin, but we'll talk about origin later, um, onto Earth, which is basically the big colony you see falling in the beginning of the show. For those of you who are familiar with early internet memory, this means in this post-apocalyptic timeline, Australia doesn't get to go. WTF, mate, because they get a big giant space colony dropped on them. Yeah, they're originally aiming for the Federation capital in Jabro in South America. Unfortunately, they miss and instead kill a dear friend of our show, the Alona Ranger, as the colony falls and annihilates Australia instead. Press F to pay respects, gents. Everybody take a drink. Yep. <sighs> That's good stuff. <laughs> yes. Godspeed, you crazy diamond. Okay, please continue, Professor. All right, so shortly after this, shortly after this, January 15th, the Battle of Loom, General Revel is captured by the Black Tri-Stars and many Xeon Aces, such as a one Shar Asimov, among others, get to make big names for themselves. At this point, there has been an insane loss of life. The Federation agrees to meet with the Xeon in Antarctica just to discuss their surrender. During the talks... General Revel is able to escape Zeon custody, and he returns to the Federation. He then gives a big speech that he calls Zeon is Exhausted, where he details the really bad conditions of the Zeon forces. This helps rally the Federation, and they decide not to surrender. Instead, the two sides talk about rules of war and agree on what is called the Antarctic Treaty, where both sides ban the use of nuclear, biological, and chemical weapons, and dropping space colonies, and that side six is neutral ground. So Zeon who actually felt this treaty was in their favor as their main force was focused on the use of mobile suits, decides to send Garmazabi to land troops on Earth, setting up the Earth occupation force that we encounter in mobile suit Gundam. The Federation and Xeon then enter a big stalemate after Xeon has captured Europe, Asia, and North America. The situation is bad. Thus begins mobile suit Gundam. So TLDR, it's, it's really bad to be poor in the future. Also, Xeon did nothing wrong. <laughs> Just going to say it right now. Zeon did nothing wrong. Feds one scummy. <laughs> Zeon scum. Yeah, yeah, whatever, gun tank lover. <laughs> <laughs> so, now, mobile suit Gundam. We are introduced to our main protagonist, Mr. Amuro Ray, who, while at Side 7 during a sneaking Zeon attack, winds up with the instruction manual to the Gundam and the Gundam itself. We're also introduced to the makeshift crew of the White Base, the new Pegasus-class starship in the Federation line, also developed as part of Project V. Amuro and the crew in White Base are able to flee Side 7. They set a course for Earth to meet up with the main Federation forces. We have a series of skirmishes with Shar Asnabal, a.k.a. the Red Comet, a.k.a. Castfall Remdicoon, a.k.a. Edward Moss, a.k.a. Quattro Bagina, a.k.a. Shar Clone, a.k.a. Shar Gola Full Frontal, a, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, hold on, hold on. No, no, no. He's not a Char clone because he is Char. <laughs> yeah, that's me. <laughs> I'm also referring to other series. I mean, besides, you're missing the best Char clone, Mr. Bushido from uh, Gundam 00. So. Oh, right. Yes. But let's see. White Base successfully enters Earth's atmosphere, comes down behind enemy lines. Once on Earth, White Base's goal is to leave Xeon, occupied territory, meet up with the main Federation war effort. The White Base, uh, for the most part, gets kind of left to its own devices as General Revel starts to believe it's kind of this experimental potential new type group. And they also they get dubbed the 13th Autonomous Mobile Squadron. And along the way, they have to fend off several attacks from the Xeon Earth Occupation Force led by Garma Zombie. It's Garmf, Garma Zombie. That would have been cool. Well, if he was I mean, a zombie, he does but. become a he does become a zombie. <laughs> Professor, 
I have a question for you. You keep mentioning new types. What exactly are new types? Oh, right. So new type goes back to Mr. Zeon Daikun. Daikun developed the new type theory in Gundam, which basically says that as people move out into space and generations grow up living in space, this will lead people to moving on to a new stage of evolution because their souls are no longer held down by the weight of gravity. Then what happens as we go is we realize that our main hero, Mr. Amaro, is in fact one of these potential new types. Now, many new types have kind of different elements to them. In the Gundam franchise, people will do stuff like argue, oh, who was the most powerful new type ever? Was it Camille with the most powerful? Was it Judo? But essentially, new type powers kind of develop in, in different ways for different characters. Amro, for example, first begins to have this ability to start predicting enemy movements and getting a slight seeing of the future element. Later on in some of the sequel series, they actually begin to develop entire systems based on focusing and enhancing these new type abilities in different ways. It also allows them to do all sorts of stuff, including using different weaponry that they develop, such as funnels and the sort. But I would say that is effectively basic new type what he's referring to ultimately with funnels is that they actually have remote control drones that can be entirely manipulated through communication using what they call the psychic communicator system or psychomo system ultimately it turns out later on as well that the new type mutation is uh, merely a quirk of the human brain uh, because the earth federation ever being jealous and having way too much money decides to go, ah, all these war orphans, you know, they're not doing anything. Let's just put cybernetic parts in their brains. These people who hate Xeon, let's put cybernetic parts in their brains to make them psychics and then <laughs> sick them into space with these gigantic mobile armors. Yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, but that we'll have to wait for that until we do Zeta Gundam. Yes. This stuff is very essential to UC Gundam Indeed. and at least we'll be able to reference back be like oh by the way if you don't know about UC Gundam go check out this episode <laughs> so we don't have to talk about it again yeah not in a small way either let's see where were we yes Karmazabi who eventually dies which is a major turning point it's actually a great scene some some great char moment he's going down in his gaw and char turns and is like Hey, Garma, do you read me? Blame this on the misfortune of your birth. <laughs> yeah, the entire thing being is that he's entirely aware that his father, Zeon Zumdaikum, was killed by the zombie family. Allegedly. So he makes it his <laughs> personal goal to kill each and every one of the zombies. Uh, he gets most of them. Some of them, uh, they get killed by other people. But, uh, yeah. I was about to say, also, Maniva Zabi is a cute. I just want to say that, but I mean, she's only a baby now, so. So, I mean, kind of the, the overarching gist as I uh, as I saw it with the series was that Zeon, as the story goes on, gets more and more desperate and things take on a more wild ride as they keep leashing more and more just very bizarre and very grandiose super weapons up until the very end. And I mean, this is all very cool. But it also kind of makes this series seem very monster of the wiki. And I'll be like, you'll go from just seeing nothing but Zaku's, kind of a generic olive drab 
very, very utilitarian mobile suit to just, oh, this is the giant Big Zam. It is the mega chicken. It has 30 beam particle cannons. I am very big. And it's like, yep. Yeah, I know there are a lot of hard Gundam fans out there that will definitely attribute that to being at least one of the many reasons why Xeon ended up losing the war to the Federation because essentially the Gundam itself ends up being just a really well-built war machine when it comes out and the Federation is able to kind of rely very heavily on it and effectively during the duration of the war. But then it's like as the war continued to progress into the later stages, Xeon just started spending just more and more and more resources on these just different experimental mobile armors and such to try and combat it. And then being like, oh, th- this is a new mobile armor and 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 it's experimental one and and we're not even technically done with it, but this, this one's this is going to be its main test flight. Now, let, let's see how it does in combat. But yeah, it, it's one of the parts that eventually kind of helps lead to their downfall. Actually, uh, it's more of a metaphor for the desperation that Nazi Germany had at the end of the war. The One of the major contributing factors to Xeon, even down to their very, very fashionable Hugo Bosque-esque uniforms, uh, is they're supposed to basically be nationalist uh, Japan during the Showa era and also, you know, akin to Nazi Germany. I mean, that, that's the entire thing. Bear in mind, this was in 1979. This is... You know, there are still people alive, quite a few, who were still alive, who remembered World War II at this point. So that that's kind of the backdrop to this series. Yes. He wanted to make, tell a war story, which basically Gundam is the inventor of real robot, the real robot genre, because essentially they wanted to write a story where robots were used as tools essentially in a in a war narrative yeah i mean prior to this point you had things like Majinger z or giant robo where the robots basically were characters unto themselves whereas in mobile suit gundam the entire conceit was is that the gundam would be treated like a f-15 would be it's not going to have a soul it's not going to have any secret powers it's just going to be a weapon of war, even though, honestly, I think that it does kind of take on aspects of that because, I mean, not for nothing, but it has beam weapons really early on. And that's kind of cheating. <laughs> and it just has armor that can just straight up take hits from the big zom or from beam particle cannons. And that's kind of cheating, too, because it just can go, oh, you're dead. You're dead. You're dead. And I understand. I mean, it's a protagonist unit. But if they're trying to, you know, go, oh, you know, the horrors of war, it's like you sure did stack the deck in favor of Amaro in a lot of ways. So, yeah, that is that is a mainstay trope of Gundam is that usually the Gundams are always the cutting edge or most well built machines, essentially, through through pretty much just about every series. It's almost like it's a huge metaphor for the Cold War and saying that Cold War escalation will end in tears. I mean, when you start a series and then you your opening thing is the year is 0079, half the human population is dead because of this one war. You go, oh, wow, well, uh, hmm. 
Yeah. My favorite character is Gun Tank. Gun Tank, huh? He has so much heart. Like, by the time the series is opening, Gun Tanks are already on their way out. But the few times you see them, they're like, we are trying so hard. <laughs> you got to makes you feel something down inside, you know? Guys, I'm trying my hardest. I'll get there eventually. I mean, I'm mowing space and I got tractor treads, but it's okay. I'm a gun tank. I'm gun tank. <laughs> Overall, I have to say, original Gundam sucked me back in watching it. I really enjoy Gundam. I like a lot of the different Gundam shows. I am very much a mecha apologist. It kind of goes back to something I think you touched on, Dotaku. It's like, with many of the different series, it can come down to, even if you don't like all the people characters, the robots themselves do kind of tend to take on like a life of their own. I know an example for me, uh, Gundam Unicorn, for example, I'm not a big fan of Banajer, but frick, the Gundam Unicorn, the Sinanju, they just have such awesome designs for robots to a lot of the Gundam shows. And I just love all those elements to it. Along with that, I am one that does really enjoy a lot of the early UC Gundam lore. I think because Gundam overall caught me at just like just the right point. It actually goes back to when Mr. Sneck and I would hang out back in the day. He actually had a former brother-in-law who was kind of a big jerk to us, but some things I will give him some, a couple points for is that he did introduce us to two things he introduced us to White Wolf's Vampire the Masquerade, the Dyson Paper game. And he introduced us to Band of Brothers, the series that was on HBO. And I did really enjoy Band of Brothers. Oh, and Home and Homestar Runner. Oh, yeah, oh yes, and, and Homestar Runner. But Gundam hit me at the right point when I was getting interested in those historical war narratives. And then I found something like OS, 08 The Mess Team, and it was just like this, oh, this is awesome. This is like Band of Brothers in outer space, and that just got me hooked. But going back and watching original Gundam, I will say it is a lot like going back and watching original Star Trek. It is very silly, and but I do still have a lot of respect for it. It, it kind of is, yeah. That is a really good comparison because one of the, one of the first things um, – Every time Yutaku and I watch one of these shows together, we always end up MSTing it. And we, we I started joking. We were counting uh, re recycled animation. And I, we constantly had to, to tell ourselves, like, they literally had 300 yen and a shoestring per episode. They, they had to do that. So, And the thing, one of the things I noticed, like, in the first or second episode... There's a bit where it's supposed to be a bunch of the colony citizens fleeing from this disaster, but they use the shorthand where all the men were wearing blue shirts and all the women were wearing pink shirts. And I kind of made this kind of passing remark about it. And I'm like, oh, you know, that's so the, the animators could remember who's who. In the next scene, out of nowhere, there's uh, Frau Bo's mom who's wearing a purple blouse. And I'm just like, see, you didn't wear your pink and now you have to die because you cost the animation studio additional money that they didn't have to spend. <laughs> and yeah, and then the funny thing was, is like as soon as he said that, then she got killed. I'm like, <laughs> wow, have you seen this before? No, not not in a long, long, long time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's been a good long time since I've gone through the original series. Since 2001 for me. 
And I know that because they canceled it on September 12th, 2001. And there's kind of a reason for that. And there's something that happened on September 11th. I mean, that's honestly, I'll remember that forever because, I mean, not for nothing, but, and I'm going to get flack for this from Mr. Snack because he just loathes this show. But I got into it because, and I know, I know, I'm a giant normie. <laughs> uh, I was 12 at the time. Sue me. I got into it with Gundam Wing. And I was a huge military equipment nerd. I loved, as particularly airplanes. To be fair, and so, to be fair, you showed me Gundam Wing, and all I really saw was giant robots with laser swords blowing up other robots. And I was like, I can totally get into this. And then, like, the next three episodes was, like, a boy band were having drama over a chessboard. And I'm just like, oh, no. Oh, no. Let, let me finish. <laughs> let me finish my damn story. <laughs> <coughs> oh, God, I'm having an attack. Thanks, Snack. You're going to kill me. Uh, anyways, so before I was so rudely interrupted... I, you know, and so I, I go into this and they're talking about, you know, they have all these cool robots and I am not, you know, new to anime at this point. And so I see them and I'm thinking, oh, it's a robot series. That's kind of cool. And they're like, oh, yes, it's the MS-13 48R tall geese. And like, yeah, don't actually look that up. I'm sure there's some guy who's like Googling right now, looking on Mecha HQ being like, that's not the actual. I don't it, <laughs> I don't care. OK, I don't care. So it was the episode where they introduced the tall geese and they're talking about like, oh, it's so much faster than the, the regular Leos. It's so much cooler, but it kills people because of G-forces. And I'm like, whoa, this is kind of cool. They're like talking about like scientific principles and stuff. You know, actual science fiction rarely does that. Yes. You know, even back then. Oh, my gosh. So, you know, I got sucked in through the technical aspect and the mobile suits were really what did it for me. I didn't really notice the uh, so pretty much boy, very Bishonen, wow, wow, you know, aspect that just seemed to trigger the dear Professor Snack. <laughs> and so the thing was with me was then I would immediately go on to the very new internet and go, I love Gundam. What's Gundam in there? And then you get all these old neckbeards who are like, Gundam Wing, we're talking <laughs> about Mobile Suit Gundam. And I go, but isn't it the same thing? Oh my, how wrong I was. So I learned about Mobile Suit Gundam way back in 98 when they started with Gundam Wing. And so I was learning and realized, wait a second, this is an entirely different series. So when Mobile Suit Gundam was actually brought over, I was one of the few weirdos that actually liked it, warts and all. And so then when September 11 happened and Cartoon Network went, oh, thank God we can cancel this ancient piece of crap. You know, I was one of the few people going, no, no, I really like this series. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then G Gundam happened. Honestly, though, this is still a great show. There are so many sequences in the show I still really enjoy. Oh, I, I agree. I, I think, honestly, though, I mean, looking at it now, I'm like, it is not, even as being as revolutionary as it is, there's a lot of toyetic elements, even though it's supposed to be very, very realistic, very military. It's supposed to be weapons of war. It's like, yes, now we will begin to add this part where you will have the core fighter and the core fighter will be attached to a bigger core fighter. 
what you call this weapon, General Revel? Core booster. Dun-dun-dun. Ah, yes, the Gundam will have a Gundam-sized hammer. What you call this weapon? The Gundam hammer. <laughs> but it's actually a flail. Oh, yeah. I mean, even besides the toy elements, it really does feel like that old-school Star Trek silliness. I mean, there are just some silly, nonsensical moments. I know one scene that actually made me laugh watching it this time around was it, it was the episode where they were sneaking up on Makuve's mining facility. And I know I've seen this as just a silly image before where you have the shot of the sneaking Gundam, like peeking up over the hill, looking down at the out, down at the base, which by itself is, is just a silly looking shot. But I actually laughed out loud when I noticed the sequence that happens right after where Frabo is running up and is like, I want to see, Amuro, I want to see. And then Amuro proceeds to move giant robot Gundam hand to block Frabo's path. And then he says, but what if they see you? And I'm just like, yeah, Amuro, dude. You're the one in the 50-foot robot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's a really fair point. And to, to, to give you an idea, since everyone, everyone heard the reaction that my beloved co-hosts had at the end of the round, where I jokingly suggested SD Gundam. Well, while Dutaku and I were watching, and the first Zakus were infiltrating the colony... One of them was running up ahead, and they used this kind of scanned walking cycle for it. And so while he was doing that, I started going, Zaku, 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 Zaku. <laughs> uh, Dutaku was not pleased. Yes, yes, I wasn't pleased. Also, I mean, I let, um, we must be remiss to say, uh, not only is Zeon, they, they didn't do anything wrong, they also have the best names. Because, for instance, the first three Zaku pilots that they get that actually attack the side seven colony are denim, gene and slender. And I'll let the uh, listeners at home take a second to realize how that can be funny. So, I mean, you get all sorts of just very goofy sounding names like Ramba Rao, you get uh, Makuve, Shar Aznable. I mean, just all of them are just very goofy names. Whereas the earth Federation, they all actually do have legitimate names. Well, most of them. I'm not sure if Bright is actually a name or if that's just them going, eh, it's, a, it's an English name. It's an English, it's an English thing. You know, he's, he's from Britain. It's all right. He's from Britain. I don't know why Tamino is now from Brooklyn, but. Yeah, Bright is pretty great. I can't have him get brought up and not mention the Gundam slap, of uh, course. Yes. Because we do get the beginning of the Gundam slap with Bright basically slapping Amuro and telling him to go pilot the Gundam. There's just a lot of that going around in general. Which which actually leads to another great scene between Frabo and Amuro later on, right after Amuro's actually gotten slapped again. Frabo turns to him and says, you do say things you shouldn't on occasion. A smack is good medicine. Oh yeah, and they just like slap her and Sela like a lot. Especially in the beginning, I'm like, ooh, this was made, it's just, this was definitely made not in current year. Ooh. 
Although, I mean, despite it being not nearly as like following through on what they kind of set out to do, I still think it's worthwhile. And honestly, I mean, it, it because they only hint at a lot of the new type stuff, which honestly, I mean, they explain more and they explore more in the uh, later series. But here it's very nebulous. And I think it benefits from that because honestly, I mean, it's just an excuse, really, to have more and more complex and ridiculous mobile suits. I mean, as much as I love the Kubeli, as much as I love the Noisial, as much as I love the Sazabi, they're just huge, complex, ridiculous mobile suits. So I will also bring up some other scenes that are still great. This show has two of the greatest headshots in anime history. Kaecilia suddenly shoots Guren in the back of the head and his body just hits the screen and like floats off into wherever. And then you turn around and Kaecilia is going to escape and Shard just goes, floats up, salutes and says, Garma, here's a farewell present. I know you'll get along well with your sister. And then just gives her an insane rocket launcher makeover. I'm just saying as a uh, Guren's Greed player, Cassilius faction is the best. Garma, Dozel, and uh, Girin are all all Lamo. Just saying that. So one thing that still doesn't grab me with this show, honestly, the music. I mean, there are a few of the high horn melodies and things that I feel like worked, but overall, I feel like the music in this show is just kind of there. I guess you didn't like the waka waka wa disco guitar. Yeah. <laughs> That's a shame. That's a shame. I, I, I gotta say, the opening theme is really a fun song on its own. And I'm not saying that it's bad. I actually quite like it. But it is really incongruous when you start getting to later episodes and people are like, people are dying and I have PTSD. That goes back to the fact that, remember, remember what was the norm at that point. Ma Jinger, Ma Jinger's it. Do 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 do. He's gonna blow up all the bad guys. Whoa 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 whoa. Cogbot nine thousand. <laughs> Defender of freedom and liberty. Cogbot nine thousand. And then in twenty years we'll make a darker version called Cogbot nine thousand Armageddon. I'd watch Cogbot. <laughs> I'd take that over the doozy bots. Oh. Yeah, I, I forced Snack to watch the Doozy Bots because I found it. It was actually on YouTube, so I subjected him to that. I'm sorry. I suppose I, I can't dodge the question anymore. My personal favorite character, since we're still kind of on that thing, uh, it has to probably be Char. I know that's kind of a normie answer, but he's just so good. He's so good. Gunnam is one of those shows where I think it's an example of how you can have a show with just very flawed characters. I mean, this series has like kind of a lot of wishy-washy sort of characters, and we do kind of lack like the super confident scion, like a guy or a Kamina or Domo, and those kind of characters that I, I definitely gravitate towards a lot. Yeah, it does. Um, Slager. Well, yeah, you're. I mean, yeah, yeah it has he, Lieutenant you know, Slager. Slager. Yeah, and guess what happens to him? He sacrifices himself to deliver the nut punch of all nut punches. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. But I think. Overall, Gundam is an example where you can have a lot of 
flawed characters and just it's more about how you weave them together with the narrative and it's more about how the whole ensemble kind of works together or works off of each other to move the story forward with that being said that's from my favorite character it's it's somewhere between bright amro and char i i enjoy i just enjoy bright i like the amro char narrative well enough I really like Char's backstory with how he had to run away and go into hiding and then comes back to get has to get revenge on the zombies. I do kind of get a little thrown off because I wish that they had focused more on that because he does get kind of sidetracked at some points and is like, oh, I've I've got to beat Amaro. I, I can't let him be better than me. And then he just flips back at the end and is like, oh, wait, I've got to go kill some more zombies. Hold on. Well, be right back, guys. I got to kill some of my political enemies. <laughs> then I'm going to just hang out on Von Brown City and be known as Quattro Vagina. I mean, what? Yes. Adaheim Electronics Ayug. Zeta Gundam is a wild ride, guys. <laughs> but uh, overall, I mean, the show is, I think it's a, still a must watch. If you're, a, if you're a big science fiction mecha fan, I, I totally think this is, this is a must watch. Is it's it basically this? It's because of Gundam that I, you know, I, 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 what brought me into Mecha in the first place was Macross, and Macross was just the next evolution of real robots after Gundam had come along that got really popular, and so obviously sinking back into Gundam was was really easy. Yeah, and honestly, I mean, it's kind of funny that you mentioned that because uh, kind of Robotech Macross kind of lend a lot of stuff from another series that Tomino was involved in, Space Runaway Edeon. Oh, yes. Which kind of does have the entire thing of, you know, Earth is fighting this hugely over much more powerful alien force, and the only thing they have that can stop it are these poorly understood alien technology that they stole from the aliens in the first place. Yeah. I mean, whereas unlike in Macross, where, you know, it ultimately turns out Ah, 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 my, my last point of desperation, I will play Bon Jovi at you. Perhaps we are not so different after you and all. Oh my God, you're a 30 foot tall woman. <laughs> uh, or as in Edeon, it's, you know, ah, ah, my last desperation, I'm going to slam the Edeon's controls, activating multidimensional lasers. <laughs> everything dies. Oops, we accidentally everything. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I kind of have to agree with you on that one, Cog. It's it's a great series. It's, I mean, I'm kind of looking at it in hindsight, though, because, I mean, Zeta, Double Zeta is pretty much my favorite part of UC Gundam. But you can't have, you can't have Zeta, Double Zeta without Gundam. So, I mean, but it's it's all good. UC is all good. I, I would, even, even Victory... Because, I mean, what other part of science fiction do you have a religious army that decides to have giant battleships on steamrollers so they can literally crush their enemies underneath their wheels? I mean, that's such a bizarre, a bizarre thing. It, only in Gundam, I mean, really. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, all right, gentlemen. I suppose it's, you know, that time again. What are your overall thoughts? What's what's your overall rating? I mean, I already know what Professor Snacks is. He spoiled me already, but w- what are your thoughts there? Oh, I want to hear Professor Snacks. Oh, well. well, if you insist, I have to give it a gun tank out of a gun tank <laughs> because 
the, the thing is, their show has a lot of flaws, and they're going to become more obvious with age. But I love I love stuff like this because there is not only is there a lot of heart. The developers, the designers, the writers cared, and they had a message. They had a point. And I think an anti-war message is one of those things that, trite though it may be, will always be relevant in the human condition. The fact that it's a space war really isn't all that different from what we on Earth have already experienced. That in mind, it's not a flawless show, but it's a show that tries really hard and it pushes forward even when its treads are stuck. (laughs) Hence, it is a gun tank. (laughs) Very good. See, I, I figured it was going to be a gun tank out of 10, but you know, that, that works too. How about yourself, Mr. Cog? See, this is, this is tough for me. It's, it, it is like going, trying to go back and put a rating on original Star Trek, which is just really hard for me because it's one of those shows I look at personally with a lot of reverence because it was pretty much the granddaddy show that paved the way for several other shows that I just absolutely loved. So I think this time I'm actually going to probably follow suit with Mr. Snack and give the original Gundam an RX-7802 out of RX-7802. Well, all y'all are a bunch of fetty scum, and you guys have your souls being weighed down by gravity. <laughs> so I'm going to have to be the contrarian and give it a... I guess I'm going to have to give it mine a... YMS 17 Galbaldi Alpha out of 10 because it's fantastic, but it's by and large largely unrealized. And that even though they had a, they, they very clearly had a, a big plan. I mean, the fact that we're still talking about this series and there's like still unreleased material from the brainstorming they did for Mobile Suit Gundam just kind of shows you, as, as Snack was pointing out, just that the thought and the heart that went into it from these guys. And, I mean, if you're not familiar, check out the Gundam Sose manga, because it goes very clearly into the fact that it's just a very small team of guys, and they were literally working episode by episode, week by week, and they're basically being pressured from below by the fans, who, once again, were not entirely happy by it initially, going, this is nothing like Get Robo. This is nothing like Majinger Z. I want to see more Gundams getting blown up. I want to da-da-da-da-da. Show me more Dinosaur Empire. And meanwhile, the, the guys from Bandai who are actually financing the show are going, there's not a whole lot of toyetic guys in here. What the heck's going on? No one's going to buy a Zaku. Ugh. So, and yet, despite that, they, they persevered. They got their message out there. So, uh, I mean, even the Galbaldi, the, the unit that I'm mentioning, isn't actually in Gundam. It's mentioned, but it's not actually in there. You don't actually see it until Zeta Gundam, where ironically it's being piloted by Earth Federation pilots against former Xeon. But, once again, that's Zeta Gundam. It's a wild ride. So, anyways. So, yeah. I mean, I, I love it. I mean, if we're going to go into numericals, I'd probably have to give it a, a like an eight out of 10. Just, I mean, I love it, but it has its warts. But in spite of that, I think that it's a great show. And a lot of my favorite shows wouldn't exist without it. So it's one of a kind and I love it to death. So guys, I guess we, uh, the time has come as the uh, walrus said, or I suppose the Rambaral said <laughs> to uh, spin the wheel once again, shall we? 
Yes, what is the next Gundam show in our Gundam-thon? Uh, as I recall, Cog put forth Thunderbolt. Yutaku put forth Turn A. And I put forth G. And I will plug these into my RNG in that order. Thunderbolt 1, Turn A 2, and G Gundam 3. And the Wheel of Morality says... Next up is going to be G Gundam. All right. So all that stuff I just talked about, about UC Gundam lore, just chuck that right out the window. <laughs> so basically what you need to do for your uh, for your prior reading is you need to go ahead and look up Dragon Ball Z, watch that entire series, and you will be ready for G Gundam. <laughs> yeah. Because look up, watch a bunch of Kung Fu films. Giant Robo, uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still, actually. This is not a, a joke or a meme. This is actually the series that the director and the team that did G Gundam did just for. And a lot of the tropes, a lot of the kind of themes that they push forward in G Gundam are also present in Giant Robo. So also it's a really good series. It's got Wagnerian music to Kung Fu fighting cyborgs and magically possessed suits of Chinese armor. It's so good. One of these days, I'm going to sit snack down, and I'm going to force him to actually watch it because it's so good. Anyways, so thank you for joining us, ladies, gentlemen, and attack helicopters. We will see you next time. Same snack time, same snack channel. Thank you for listening to the Tomodachi Brothers Review Podcast, produced and recorded by The Hipster Snack, Ditaku, and Cog. Sound design and editing by executive producer Sean Taylor Brown with Cog Sound Engineering. Music written and performed by Sean Taylor Brown with Costas Voss of Core Inside Studio on the drums. We hope you enjoyed this episode. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Tomodachi Bros Anime Podcast. I'm one of the co-founders and co-hosts of the podcast, The Hipster Snack. If you want more content from me, I have my own YouTube channel, The Hipster Snack. Links will be available everywhere I can spam it up until I get a custom one, but all in due time. I do weekly game reviews, and in the future, probably more than that. Look forward to it, and I'll see you there and on Twitter, at Hipster Snack. See ya!